0: City, host of the show, Brock Wilbur, and also the editor-in-chief of The Pitch. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, today, we'd like to talk about the pleasures of giving up. Uh, just giving up, entirely. I know that uh, everything recently has been about me redoing my life and doubling down on everything that I believe in and, and working harder to be better at stuff. But uh, all around me, I see people that are giving up, and it just looks real great. Uh, about an hour ago, my wife was walking home from the store When she encountered a stray dog that she followed through several neighborhoods, uh, trying to find where he belonged. And then the dog wound up back at a house, uh, and the front door to the house, uh, wide open and the dog seemed familiar with it. So it seemed like maybe that was the dog owner's house and she knocked on the walls, shouted into the house. No one came. Uh, so she went around to the backyard where the backyard gate was also open. And there was a guy back there, uh, working with some power tools. She kept shouting, trying to get his attention trying to get him to come see like is this your dog he couldn't hear her over anything uh but the dog seemed to have gone back into the house so must be the right house she walked back out to the street and the dog started following her uh, down the street and she's like i don't understand like is it the dog's house is it not what's going on um and a woman came jogging by and she ran up and seemed to ignore my wife but knew the dog and knew its name and was like oh hey good to see you you little escape artist and my wife was like is that is that your dog and she's like no that dog just belongs to this house like he it's incredible that he got out little escape artist and and I think we're both just gobsmacked by like that that's where the bar is for things like that this dog is an escape artist for constantly getting it out of out of a house where every possible entry point is wide open at all times uh love it I, I i i wish that the bar was that low for me in everything that i do um and maybe it is uh, who knows i still have this job so waka waka uh today we have a great episode uh, we've got an interview with kansas city horror filmmaker jill six uh but before that nick's music corner
1: hello i'm nick Basic, music editor for the pitch here with this week's local music recommendation The Kansas City Soul powerhouse, which is the Freedom Affair, released their debut full-length, Freedom is Love, last Friday, September 25th. It takes the strength and scope of their first single, Rise Up, released last year on Coal Mine Records, and expands upon it. The Freedom Affair has created an album which is very much of the modern age, while still sounding timeless enough to fit in alongside your Curtis Mayfield and Marva Whitney LPs. Ahead of Sunflower Soul's release of Freedom is Love, we premiered a track from the album, Move On, featuring Paula Saunders. It's a massive track, and one which really showcases the full scope of what The Freedom Affair is capable, with a mid-song talking blues where Saunders gets to preach a bit during a break in the frenetically up-tempo number. Check it out now and read my interview with the band's bassist and co-founder, Chris Hazelton, at The Pitch's website. You can find the full album at The Freedom Affair's Bandcamp.
2: funny. When he had you, he ain't want you. Out here lying, cheating, straight taking me for granted. Had me feel like I wasn't cute or something. Boy, do you know who I am? I am Paula Saunders. You better Google me. Uh Uh-huh, but you see it now. The grass wasn't greener on the other side. Grandmama told you, keep on living. You gonna find out. You gonna find out today. You done lost the best. I'm done with your lying and your cheating. Your straight disrespectfulness. Ah, nah, nah, ain't no nah. Baby this, baby that. Nah, you was big and bad. Be big and bad heading to that door. I said be big and bad heading to the door. And don't let it hit you on the way out.
0: And now here is our interview with filmmaker Jill six
1: so the film has had two premieres thus far um is it a little weird I assume the fact that you know both of these have been virtual
3: yeah I've, I've actually been saying to a lot of the team this weekend that there's a, this weird it's an extra surreal qualities not being in person for the world premiere. Because it's like, even though I see the reactions and they're incredibly exciting and awesome, it, it doesn't feel real still. Because I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, I know that when I talked to you um, a while back when 42 Counts was being released... Like, one of the things we talked about was the fact that, like, you were really excited about, like, the possibilities of making, like, a feature film in Kansas City. And it seems like the stylist does a really good job of, like, not only showing off Kansas City as a city, but also, like, the people within it. Because, I mean, you used, uh, you know, lo- local actors like um, Laura Kirk, for example, um was that like one of the things you were going for when you you made the film
3: Yes. um i've been any all like honestly any project i'm a part of i'm trying to convince people to shoot it here (laughs) the stylist i was for sure no question gonna go anywhere else with that um like I'm attached to a couple other features that aren't exactly like I'm not in charge of them, but even to those people, I'm like, everyone come here. Trust me. And we can do awesome things here in Kansas city. But with stylus, we really wanted to show off the city as much as we could, as it made sense, you know, with the locations in the movie. And we do have quite a few scenes where we needed a lot of background talent and, beyond like our feet, you know, like actors in there that have like roles and lines. We have probably a hundred plus people from Kansas city that came out and were extras in multiple shoots. And if you really watch, you could notice more people <laughs> in multiple scenes. <laughs> but, um, no, I was, this movie's Kansas city pride through and through. And we shot through the playoffs and the, chiefs were a big <laughs> really involved in the film as well and it became a challenge their schedule cha- messed with our schedule
1: <laughs> well like i think anybody who is involved uh, even tangentially like in the kansas city horror community is going to recognize a lot of familiar faces in the background of these films um which i think is really cool that like the the, the area you know community that you've been uh, a, a part of for so long uh, like stepped up to to support you in making your film
3: yes it's personally like really heartwarming and exciting when I watch it I will like kind of have this little giggle at everyone I'm in the background because it's they're all, like either they're my friends or they're part of the horror community or I do their hair like every extra is someone I know well. And so I love that.
1: My favorite part was like watching it. And um, I think my favorite thing in any local horror production that I've seen, be it like your films or like stuff that like Todd Sheets does, is just like all of a sudden there's Genius McGee in the background. And I'm just like,
0: ah, it's Jay.
1: Um, It just brings me like it brings me joy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and genius has a really great moment <laughs> where he is basically twerking for a second on right there in the middle of the screen.
1: <laughs> the reviews um, and reactions after the the Fantastic Fest premiere seem to have like so many people referencing the fact that it reminded them a lot of frank Calhoun's um 2012 remake uh, of maniac like in terms of um like the the portrayal of like a sympathetic portrayal of your your protagonist like i don't even want to say villain uh in, in terms yeah. of talking about claire but um what i I'm kinda of curious about is like what films were you looking to for inspiration for like the look and tone of the stylist
3: um, well first, I have to argue that <laughs> the original maniac lusteds maniac mm-hmm. is just as sympathetic as the remake um, is the only thing i have to I have to debate but also. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe because Elijah Wood is, like, you know, more of a sad boy type character. He's cute. immediately looked at that way. But the original guy is portrayed the same way. You see him crying in bed with his mannequins. Like, that's half the movie. (laughs) Um, But I I didn't grow up seeing Maniac. I didn't see that until I was an adult. So that wasn't, like, ingrained in my head like other horror films. But this started as, like, a... As a female Leatherface idea for me, <laughs> but then like visually and the kind of the tone of the film, we look toward to like a lot of psychological thrillers from both like older ones from like the 50s and 60s, like and 70s, even like De Palma or Robert Altman's Three Women. Um, a lot of these psychological thrillers, specifically about women obsessed with other women wanting to become other people and and then a lot of the 90s erotic thrillers like oh we don't have that erotic thing going on (laughs) we i think i'm sure you can see the the similarities to stuff like single white female and
0: that world
3: um i was trying to make more like a thriller but then take the kill to like a super gore horror level (laughs) um but we yeah we got deep into like creating a like a language for the camera and a lot of that was inspired by older films but we brought in split screen and zooms and but i'm also inspired by a lot like we had this crazy i had this watch list for everyone it we had the older thrillers but also had stuff like black swan neon demon all these like movies about women who lose their mind with the similar themes um and so we I feel like you can see a lot of all that kind of stuff because we use a lot of brighter colors. So we created like a mirror, an opposite vibe with our two main characters, Claire and Olivia, her, her object of her obsession. Um, we really wanted to feel like Claire's almost from another time, transported into present day, and every everything else around her looks normal, but she looks like she's maybe from like the 60s or 70s. Who knows where she's from? <laughs> um, but yeah, we we spent crazy time planning all of that kind of stuff out um luckily we've had four years to think about it since we made the short film (laughs)
1: like the, the the colors are really vibrant and what i found really surprising was how warm the film looked like i mean in in addition to like a lot of the, the 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 reds and yellows and like oranges of the color palette like there's a lot of like very sunny scenes but i like the fact that because of like the time of year in which it takes place and was shot like there's like, there's this sharpness to the, the daylight that really sort of, like, provides a very nice contrast to the warmth.
3: Yeah, I think, and I, a lot of this I didn't perceive till like, later after we shot, honestly. But with our production designer and wardrobe, we, and then also the cinematographer, we create this thing where I feel like it's common that you would design or style a character like a, a killer not to be, like, warm. Like, she's always in, like, this warm 70s-type color palette, all these, like, yellows and oranges. And so, like, but we made the real world cool so that she really stood out whenever she wasn't... Like, her home is warm, but everywhere else is cool. And so she's still always wearing all these warm colors standing out when she walks down the street. Um, We wanted to do that because I always wanted people to be... With Claire, you know, not to be—we're not trying to make her. We're even though she is disturbing, we're trying to bring in our our audience to her life and her perspective, so that you're like as the viewer, your view gets almost as warped as hers. You start to think people are mean when really they're just like like Olivia laying out boundaries, but to Claire, it's like the end of the world. Um, I just went on a ramble there.
1: No, it's totally <laughs> cool. Now, I I think for people who are familiar with the the short film will recognize uh, when when they see the feature version of the stylist is that the the film's like opening scene is is essentially drawn directly from that original short was that um like sort of an intentional like thing so that uh like folks who hadn't seen it kind of get to see part of it but also those who had seen it like then get to see it it, it, like afterwards expand into this I guess grander world
3: well we my idea with that was to I always wanted to right away um show the audience like her normal routine like it's not a it's not a surprise to find out that she kills people you know like (laughs) I want you to go in knowing that's what she does um so we show you her normal routine and then from then on when things don't go how they normally should do for her. Um, But with the opening, we even shot it almost exactly the same. Um, There's certain things that are exactly the same as the short, but there is a little bit of a difference. There's a difference for me uh, narratively, like at the end of the short for me is more comparative to the end of the feature, at least where Claire is emotionally. Um, Like I always imagined if the short continued, like she was, the police were on their way, probably to her house. She was the last person with this woman who was on her way to a party. She wasn't making smart decisions in the short film. She's about to get caught. And um, so I was really trying to tell her, like, downward spiral. So, with the short, with the beginning of the feature, we show, like, this is her normal routine. She escapes through wearing these these wigs or these scalps, wigs in real life, <laughs> but um, the, the scalps, like, soothe her. So, with the feature, I wanted to show that. It normally soothes her but in the in the short it, it, it didn't work anymore so it's kind of like her last one um, and that was actually a note I got from Timo Tijanto, like one of my favorite filmmakers he's an Indonesian filmmaker he did killers and the night comes for us and all kinds of films but he was like you should, he's like in the future you should show you know do her whole routine but show like have her break breakdown and then put the scalp on and show how thats that saves her from her inner turmoil versus breaking down post wearing. And I was like, that's incredible. He had that note on the short and I was like, well, with the short, I was trying to say something else, but with the feature that totally makes sense. Um, but I've always wanted to tell her downward spiral. I was never trying to go back and be like, here's Claire's life from five years old and on, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, how did you,
3: Oh, I was gonna say one. I was like, but we do hope that people that did watch the short notice like these same type of shots and kind of think that's cool. And then we even have a call back to a line of dialogue that got a lot of attention from the short. We brought it back in the feature, so I hope those people like that <laughs> little <laughs> things like that.
1: How did you? And come-
3: the scalp from the short makes this sh- makes an appearance. Oh,
1: really? Like the actual like prop itself? Yeah,
3: she. She's wearing it in one of the scenes in the basement near the end of the film.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> Easter egg for the fans. <laughs> uh, now, how did you come to work with Bria Grant? Um, she is um, like yourself, also a screenwriter and filmmaker. Was was was, was it through that or just um, the the horror? community in general.
3: Well, I met her through, um, I might have been kind of talking to you about this project back before. So I met her through a different fe- feature film that we were trying to get financed. I was attached to direct it was written by Eric Stoles who helped write stylists also. Um, she was attached to star in that other film and we made a teaser for it and everything. And this is, that's like two or three years ago. And as I was working on this stylus over the years, I always, since I met, met Bria, I was about to call her Olivia. Oh my God. <laughs> um, since I met her. I realized that she really exuded this kind of personality to me in real life. Like I always pictured her as this character and I never brought it up to her until I decided to be insane and do a Kickstarter <laughs> for this movie. Cause I was done trying to get it financed. Like the, the Hollywood way. I was done with that. Um, so, I just asked her if she could do it. At first, she didn't know if she could because she's so busy. Like you said, she's also a writer-director. Right now, she has two other films out. One, she wrote and directed 12-Hour Shift. One, she wrote and stars in called Lucky. She also just directed more of that CW Pandora show. She's like on fire. <laughs> so, for a while, we were just like, we don't know if she'll be able to do it because she has these bigger jobs that understandably were a priority over what we could pay (laughs) on our budget. (laughs) Um, But when it came down to it, she could do it, and we were so stoked. Um, But she really – Bria has this, like, bright energy around her, but she also is, like, the kind of person that you you can't, like, cross. And I love that about her because I feel like she could be underestimated as someone you could walk over. A lot of people think that about. Small women like, like short, like me, and they think that you can And but she's definitely not someone, and that's what I wanted in this character. Um, someone who Claire looks at as like perfect, but of course, the person who that is doesn't at all see themselves that way. When Bree is amazing, when I actually just watched 12 Hour Shift today. Sorry, (laughs)
1: oh no, 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 like, uh, no, I, I, I watched that, um, a week. And a half or so ago, and I was just like, "Oh man, this movie is so much fun!"
3: I know that's one that like would be crazy fun at a film festival. So that that's the only part that makes me sad. I wish I could have seen that in a packed room with tons of you know genre fans cheering that movie on.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was
3: kind of set up to love it, starring Angela Bettis of May. That's a huge inspiration on stylus and. David Arquette of Scream. I was like, "How would you? I'm geeked out. I want to come meet them." (laughs) When she was making it, I was so jealous.
1: And she got she got uh, uh, Mick Foley. (laughs)
3: Yeah,
1: playing. They shot
3: that in Arkansas, so I was actually going to try to go down one day, and then it didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: In in terms of Bria's performance, that that she has this unique ability to deliver like like a like a monologue or a speech like where um she's setting the boundaries with Claire really reminded me of that uh monologue she gives in After Midnight um yeah l- like where it's just like she has this uh, ability to like just come across as like somebody who is like all like you see like that inner strength come out in like a very like i'm laying down boundaries and this is what i am saying yeah and you just immediately have like this uh your your sympathies tend like all of a sudden switch from the 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 main protagonist of the film to her character whomever that might be yeah
3: she's incredible in fact that monologue and after midnight that Crazy long shots they do. Um, we do a you know a couple long shots like that. They're not monologues, but um, we've got two scenes with Bria and Najara that are like probably three minutes or four without cutting. And I know to some people that's like that's slow and boring, but I was like this like that shows how much of incredible performers they are because we're normally watching stuff in like you know ten second clips. when it's edited together. (laughs) And um, that scene that you're talking about where Bria, Olivia, Bria's character, Olivia, kind of lays down these boundaries for Claire. Um, That's one of my favorite moments because when I watch it, I I see it as such a heartbreaking moment for Claire. Like, it comes across so devastating. When it's like, from another perspective, like I said, Olivia's just saying, think like, you, like just setting boundaries, but to Claire, it's like, I hate you. Please never talk to me again. <laughs> and it really feels that way. Not because of, her, I don't think because of Bria's performance, but because of Claire's performance. Najara's. I'm really going to mess up everyone's names here. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, that, that scene on the parking deck where she lays out those boundaries are, is actually the first thing I shot with both of those, with Najara and Bria together. So, I was real nervous cuz I'm like this is like the the climax of their their situation this is kind of like a huge turning point in the movie so but it was like magic the first time we rolled I'm like, phone I knew they were going to be the perfect like opposites um I love it <laughs> I don't know what to
1: say <laughs> So um given given that you 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 filmed this um courtesy of a successful Kickstarter campaign um, what are the, the, the lessons that you learned both in terms of crowdfunding as well as, like, making a, a feature?
3: Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> the lessons I learned about making a feature could probably fill a book. But um, crowdfunding, I, I've crowdfunded two, two of my short films before this and then been a part of a couple others. But I did like a thousand times the research to prepare for this than I did for anything else, any of the crowdfunders I've tried because I was just so scared. I didn't think like, how do you ask, how do we raise this much money? I remember raising maybe 10,000 for the short and that or maybe it was only six that we were trying to get. And it was very hard. So I was like, I don't know how we're going to do, you know, it's like 30 or 40 thousand dollars. So I went to crazy lengths. I made like spreadsheets with all these other campaigns that were successful around the same kind of goal we were going for. What were all of their rewards? How did they compare? Like I went insane preparing for it. I created like a PR campaign that lasted the entire Kickstarter. So we had articles and interviews sprinkled for like four weeks. Um, It was insane. (laughs) But we also always knew the Kickstarter would only be kind of like what greenlit the project. We would have to find a significant amount more money, and that's always I think what's helped held me back from just try, just going for it. But I as a, the anxious organizer planner that I am, I like to know I'm going to be able to finish something. <laughs> and I'm like, how do you just start a movie and you don't know how? You're like you're going to even pay to 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 do all of it. Like where's the where's it going to come from? But I. I've learned from a lot of people I've met at festivals, other filmmakers, that that's almost what everyone does with their first movie. They just start making it. And you're like, you don't know how you're going to finish it, but you, you figure it out as you go. <laughs> the crazy in me is like, that's the worst thing I've ever heard, but that's, that's what we did. And it worked. Um, but I, I don't even know. Um, what have I learned?
1: <laughs> I, I, I I think the thing that I've learned covering movies over the years is that most things will eventually come out. Like I like my favorite genre of film, I guess subgenre of film at the moment are like movies that get a release like decades later. Like um <clears throat> your uh Miami Connections, Your Dangerous Men um jungle trap stuff like that where it's just like oh man like they they finished it like i mean like not quite over the finish line but like there's enough for the movie to finally come out and it just like it brings me joy that like movies like lost movies are are legitimately actually i think a really rare thing (laughs) yeah now um uh, this is this is like a, a a sort of ridiculous question but i think i every like musician writer director whomever i talk to like they're already like very excited about their next thing when their new thing comes out so do you do you have a, a next thing about which you're you're getting excited um
3: i'm starting to get excited about the about having the space in my brain to think about something else um, I have a, another feature that I'm attached to direct that was written by uh, Matt black and Lawrence then I gotta learn to say this man's last name if I'm gonna work with him am just as bad as people with my last name but it's a, the duo that wrote porno it was a fangoria film from last year oh that um, movie
1: is so much fun and the,
3: the film the film that we I'm w- on them with is pretty different than porno because that's like comedy heavy uh this is more like a straightforward horror horror movie um but it's something i've been in communication with them for like a year now and now we're getting really serious about getting that ready to show to people um but i have a a a, a script personally that's been like i've been outlining for honestly three years and (laughs) something that i can't stop thinking about so i think that's going to be my next obsession like the stylist has been for the last five six years for me <laughs> up until now because um, i i love to direct other people's like i've always directed other writing um that's how i started i don't i'm i don't consider myself a writer first because that's something that, that takes me like years and years and years to get like one idea out <laughs> it's very hard for me but um but I do love how connected I feel to the stylist. And I know that's because it started with me. And um, so I'm really excited about this other thing that I feel like I could kind of pitch to you guys. Um, the idea just to spawn from my favorite movie, Texas Chainsaw. And I love all the middle of nowhere movies, but I don't want to do another one of those. So I was like, what if you started a movie at the end of one of those movies? So you see this person escape and a lot of the movies like them is trying to make their way home. And that's like where it all came from. So to be more like a, a thriller adventure disaster, all kinds of things. <laughs> going on.
2: Um,
3: but I'm really, I don't know this. It's been weird. Only maybe like a month ago did it dawn on me that like the stylist was going to like, this journey is going to come to an end here soon. And I don't know what my life looks like when I'm not thinking about making this movement every day. So it's, it's bittersweet.
1: <laughs> well, um, I look forward to whatever you have coming out next. Um, as, as I'm aware, uh, quite a few other people are as well. Jill, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me this afternoon. This has been really, really fun.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you all for listening to Streetwise, the podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I've been Brock Wilber. Please follow our work at thepitchkc.com. Please rate, review on this show. Uh, stand by. We've got some fun, new, cool stuff coming up. And our Best Of magazine will be releasing at the end of the month. Oh, my God, it's so good. But for right now, the October magazine hit stands today. So uh, go out, grab a copy of that. If you don't feel like venturing into the world, it is up online in its entirety on our website i I hope you enjoy thank you for coming back week after week pitch in and we'll make it bye